Welcome to the Living Word, the radio broadcast ministry of Living Word Church. I am Sarah Jala Emanuel. I'm the minister of Living Word Church. Now we've been talking about uh, Christianity, what true Christianity ought to be. And um, we've come to the stage where we're discussing about the kingdom of heaven because Jesus laid a lot of emphasis on the kingdom of heaven. And he made clear in his teachings whilst he was here as a man who will and who will not get to the kingdom of heaven. And as I said, the kingdom of heaven is not a faraway place that uh, we are going to get to at the point of death in that kind of way. We are supposed to be a part of the kingdom here and now. And if you're not a part of the kingdom of heaven here and now, you will not be a part of that kingdom for all eternity. It is the only kingdom that's going to last forever because it is from all eternity to eternity. It is God's own presence. It is living in the presence of God. It is abiding in the presence of God. It is being under the control of God, under the sovereignty of God. It is living your life for God, through Christ, for Christ, where Christ is the all in all to you. Now, we've been looking at the Beatitudes, and I said this is the character of our Lord Jesus Christ himself. And unless... Unless you are you are conformed in your thinking to think and be like Christ according to what he has stipulated in the Beatitudes in First Corinthians 13 concerning love. In uh, Galatians chapter 5 from verses 22 to 24, the characters in all of this and uh, in all of these Bible verses show the per- personified Christ our Lord himself. And as a child of God, as a disciple of Christ, and every Christian is called to discipleship, you cannot be a Christian if you're not a disciple. Now, a disciple is an ardent follower, an absolute follower, subject to the master, and Christ is the master, not the pastors, not the bishops or the general overseers or whatever titles people adorn themselves with nowadays. And are subjecting people to themselves, lording it over the people, and everyone's falling head over heels. But before a mere man like yourself, I would, I would have loved to say a, a mere ransomed man like yourself. But the way things are, the picture we see today, these men are not even ransomed. They are enemies of the cross. They are enemies of Christ. So they're not even ransomed. You're falling head over heels and idolizing demons personified in the name of all kind of church titles and you think you're serving God. You think it's a service to Christ. No, it isn't because Jesus our Lord himself said it. Let none of you on earth be called father because there is only one father and he is in heaven. You are all brothers. You are all brothers. So the master-slave relationship that is witnessed in what is predominantly called church in a lot of places in the world today is a total nonsense. It's not part of Christ's church. It doesn't matter how much, the, uh, how large the congregation or the membership. It doesn't matter how many branches the church has. If it is not, if it is not, if Christ is not the only Lord and Master there, because Jesus said there is, you only have one Master, the Christ. And if Christ is not the only Master there, and you find it necessary to worship and adore your leader, then that church does not belong to Christ. It is very simple. Nobody can establish a righteousness of their own. That's why Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you will not see the kingdom of God. It is not about what we establish here, the rules of men. It is not about that at all. 
And that has always been the case. It's been from the time of Isaiah. God said, this people draw near to me with their lips, with their mouths. Their hearts are far from me. God is not interested in all our religious practices. He does not do religion. What he wants is a relationship with him through Christ. A relationship where you bow your knees to Christ and understand that he is Lord and master of your life. He is your deliverer. Outside of Christ, you know you are nothing and you have nothing. And this brings us to the... um. Beatitudes have been studying. We've talked about the poor in spirit, for this is the kingdom of heaven. These are the words of our Lord Himself. Chapter 5 of Matthew, from verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Yes, they will be filled with righteousness of Christ. Okay, so now we move on to the next one, which says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, like I said earlier, all of these uh, states of blessedness of that a man can attain and achieve are exactly the nature of Christ, the character of Christ our Lord himself. So, in other words, unless you are like Christ, you will not abide in the presence of the sovereign God, the Father, forever. It's not possible. Christ is the, is the yardstick for the measurement of our, of our righteousness. It is his righteousness that, that is imputed to us and, cover, and, and makes us righteous in the sight of God. God calls us righteous because of our, subject, our submission to Christ. Without that submission... We are not a part of Christ, and as such, we are not candidates of heaven. Now, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. The mercy we're talking about here is the mercy that abounds, which abounds in love in us because of the realization of the mercy we have ourselves received in Christ Jesus. The mercy we've received from God, which is that God did not give to us what we deserved, because we all deserve death. Oh yes, and punishment and judgment. But God took mercy on us and he chose to redeem us. He chose to forgive us. We receive forgiveness in Christ, through Christ, from Christ, for whatever it is, whatever sin we may have, uh, we may have, um, uh, <laughs> for whatever sin we may have to add to our account before we come to Christ. Whatever sin we may have committed. That's the word I was looking for. It's amazing how the simplest words elude you when you're all charged up emotionally. Anyway, yes. So the sins that we may have committed, doesn't matter what it is we've done. It doesn't matter how vile it is, even to you or to other men. Even in the eyes of God, when you come to Christ, that means you realize it. You realize that you're fallen. You realize that you are nothing. You realize your broken and fallen state. This is the poorness of spirit that we talk about in the Beatitudes. And so you receive mercy from God. You bow before your knees to Christ and you receive forgiveness. Yes, he does forgive when you are genuinely repentant. Of course, it does not mean you perpetually live in sin. Any true, true repentance, I mean, there can be no forgiveness without repentance. Or repentance means you will not do it again. Repentance means that particular sin now becomes abhorrent to you. You don't continue to live in it and expect grace of God to abound. No, it does not work that way. But when you are truly, truly repentant, you receive the mercy of God. And so you're no longer, you're no longer subject to judgment from God. But you have received mercy. Because, you know, the Bible tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. God now says, you are my son. Through Christ Jesus, you become a son of God. All your sins are forgiven. 
You're given a brand new slate to start again. All the sins of the past are forgotten by God. I mean, the psalmist in Psalm 130 now, he did not even know. You know, the psalmist did not even know Christ in person. He did not see the incarnate Christ. But of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God, the psalmist wrote, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquity, who can stand? But there is forgiveness in your presence, and therefore you are feared. The forgiveness we receive is mercy that abounds to us. Now, in appreciation of that, you were now yourself a merciful person. You find nothing unforgivable that any man does to you. You are merciful towards others because you yourself are a recipient of God's mercy. This is the mercifulness that Jesus was talking about. The mercy that Christ showed us. He had no business dying, giving himself in sacrifice for us. We're nothing but unworthy wretches. But still, he chose to deliver us. He chose to show us the way. He chose to give us life rather than let us perish in our sinfulness. Because you know what? If we'd continued, and people that still applies to people who still continue without Christ today, they will perish in their sinfulness. People who think they don't need Christ. People who think their own good works will suffice for them in the presence of God. People who say there is no God and they don't want to know about God. Fair enough. You have a right to choose. God is that merciful. He gives us the right to choose. But you know what? I implore you to choose life. Choose Christ. Because you know, the day will come when you will regret that decision. It is the greatest decision you can ever make in all of life. Forget about decisions about marriage, decisions about your finances, decisions about jobs or businesses. Forget about all those things. They will pass with time. They will pass with use. The greatest decision any human being can make is to be reconciled to God the Father, the Creator, through Jesus Christ. You cannot go any other way. Because only Christ's sacrifice, only His death on the cross is sufficient to atone for your sins and for my sins and for the sins of the world. Outside of Christ, we have nothing. You're as good as dead. Absolutely dead. Because not only when you are separated in death from this world, that is nothing. But you will be eternally separated from God. And unfortunately, it's not that simple whereby, you know, well, you die and then you appear before God's judgment seat and he says, well, you never believed in my son. You never believed in me. You said there's a God. So you know what? Just go your own way. You're not part of my kingdom. I'm not letting you in. It doesn't work that way. You'll be thrown into hell. Oh, yes. Where Jesus said there will be much weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, yes, definitely. There's no neutral ground. It's not a question of, oh, well, just go your own way then. Never mind. Since you're not one of mine, I do not know you. I do not know you means you'll be cast into hellfire. You better face it because this isn't taught anymore in, in a lot of churches today. People are being deceived. Forget about heaven. Forget about hell. Never mind that. Let's worry about today. Oh, yeah? Well, today is not even in your hands. And the decisions you make today will ultimately affect your tomorrow. So unless you make that one, it is the most vital decision in your life. You can continue and believe there is no God. You can continue and think there is no Christ. You can continue and go to church and chase after pastors for financial breakthrough and miracles and deliverances and all the foolishness that's been offered today in the name of Christianity. But you know what? You're better off believing the words of the Lord of life himself. You're better off believing the words of Christ himself. And nowhere does it teach that we should chase after financial breakthroughs and deliverances and miracles. As a matter of fact, he actually condemned people who live for such values. All of his teaching ministry here. So you want to take the words of man over the words of God himself. You'll have yourself to blame. 
So, blessed are the merciful. You show mercy. You, 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 mercy becomes a part of your nature. Because now, your nature is that of Christ Jesus. You're a part of the life of Christ. And so, you, feel, you, you, you show mercy towards other sinners. You so be out of mercy for sinners, for people who do not know Christ. You preach to them the word of life, the gospel of truth, the gospel of Christ. It's the most stupid thing anyone can do by inviting someone to church, saying, you know what? My pastor is so good. He preaches about financial breakthrough, and you know he can turn your fortunes around. It's a foolish way to invite anyone into the presence of Christ. And you're not inviting them into the presence of Christ anyway. You only invited them into the presence of your pastor, a mere man who can die any second, and who has no power over your life anyway, though the purport to. <laughs> so, the only way, when you look at a person who is walking in sin, a person who is destined for God's judgment if they do not repent, and you out of mercy for them, understanding that you yourself are a recipient of God's mercy, you talk to them about Christ. Yes, you would not, you would not necessarily receive thanksgiving for that, or a pat on the, on the back, or, or a hug of thanks. No, as a matter of fact, a lot of people reject you outright. They don't want to hear it. But then you still have that compassion in you, and you express it. Mercy for the less fortunate people around you, for the underprivileged, for the oppressed of society. And this sort of mercy we're talking about is not just looking at them and looking at them pitifully and shaking your head from left to right and walking off. No, it is the mercy that spurs you into taking appropriate action to be a blessing to these people. Maybe by forgiving them if they've offended you, have sinned against you. Or by showing them mercy and helping them as much as you can. Spending yourself in their behalf. This is the mercy we have to, we're talking about. This is the mercy that Jesus is talking about. So you yourself will be, be shown mercy. You have been shown mercy and you will be shown mercy. And you know the amazing thing about it? Such a person, a merciful person is prepared for the day they face the Lord. They are prepared to meet the Lord. Why? Because the word of God says very clearly that mercy triumphs over judgment. So they know they're not afraid of condemnation in the presence of God. They know that in the presence of God they will be welcome. Because they will receive mercy. They have received mercy and they will receive mercy. Just as we, were, we have been forgiven, we are being forgiven and we will be forgiven once we are in Christ Jesus. No sin will ever be put to our account because we love and honor Christ. And quite honestly, if you really love and honor Christ enough, you find that sin becomes a thing, or becomes an alien thing to you. Sin becomes a, 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 thing, a despicable thing to you. It becomes abhorrent to you. You do not live perpetually in sin. That's why the Bible says that he who is one of God does not, no longer sins. They cannot continue to sin because God's spirit is in them, because they have been born of God. Are you truly born again? Because I see a lot of sinfulness abound. Yes, we have massive churches. We have large numbers of churches all over the place. We have increasing numbers of churches everywhere. Every other door in major cities of the world is a church of, of, of some sort or the other. But we do not see righteousness on the increase. We do not see mercifulness on the increase. We do not see holiness on the increase. What we see is hordes and hordes of greedy idolaters who run after people and run, go to church for, for selfish reasons because they're being told they will receive this and they'll receive that if they say the right prayer, if they do the right thing, they speak the right tongues. And they... What on earth is going on? What on earth is going on? Where is the message of the gospel today? 
the gospel of Christ. So you see, not a lot of people, unfortunately, from what I see, because I listen to a lot of Christian radio, I listen to a lot of I watch a lot of Christian television, or what's supposed to be Christian media anyway. And I don't see a lot of people go ahead in heaven in for heaven. They're not even conscious of the need for it, to, to be prepared for heaven. They're being told to reject it. You know, the power of positive speech, all those things that come from pagan mysticism and pagan religions, they're being told to practice. Things that are pretty much, very much occultic in nature, that have been slipped into Christianity. And then they put in a couple of, uh, a few Bible verses and twist them around to, to fit in around their nonsense teachings. And so, you know, you have to reject anything negative. Reject illness, rebuke sickness, and you rebuke poverty, and you reject poverty. What on earth are you talking about? You have no control over your life in that way. God is sovereign. God is sovereign, and he can do with any life whatever he chooses to do. Absolutely. People are sick for a reason. But no, today's Christian doesn't want to know that. Today's Christian don't want to entrust themselves in the hands of Christ. They want to take charge. They want to take control. So they're commanding God about this and commanding God about that through the foolish teachings they're receiving and naming this and claiming that a whole lot of nonsense. The apostles, as powerful as God made them, as, as filled with the anointing of Christ directly that Christ endowed them with, they walked with Christ. Never once do we read in all their writings of them talking irreverently to the Lord or making irreverent demands, or commanding God, or, or, or naming anything and claiming anything before God. They, they subjected themselves to the, the sovereignty of Christ. They pleaded with the Lord. They sought the Lord's mercy with absolute reverence and respect, not the foolishness that is abounding today in what is called church. So, we continue. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Who are the pure in heart? People who draw near to God in full faith and a clear conscience. People who have been renewed in the attitude of their minds. Who have the mind of Christ. Who are able to discern right from wrong. People who's ha- who, who keep evil thoughts and evil ideas. Things like covetousness and wickedness, every kind of evil, every form of greed, every form of impurity, physical, emotional, spiritual impurity. People who keep all this nonsense out of their minds so that they can keep their hearts pure because they're constantly in communion with God. These are the pure in heart. And they will see God because you know what? He is holy. God is holy. And nothing short of holiness can abide in his presence. You cannot see God in your covetousness, in your greed, in your lamentations about why you don't have what the next person has and why you think you deserve more of this and why you think you deserve more of that. Such impure, lustful hearts will never see God. Now God is synonymous with the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about is the home of God. That is where God resides. The third heaven. The home of the almighty God. The holy God. And you know what? You will not see. You will face him one day. For, you know. In judgment. 
but you will not abide with them. Anything short of purity cannot see God. He is holy. And we go. We are not fit. I am not fit to stand before God. I'm impure. I'm unholy. But I thank God for Christ. Because as I said earlier, his righteousness imputed to me makes me righteous in the eyes of God. And as such, now that I know that Christ's righteousness covers me, now that I know that I'm one with Christ and in Christ, I understand what the Lord's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As Paul the Apostle wrote in Romans, chapter 12 of Romans, he made it, he, he, Paul, he gave this counsel. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. So you're back again on this issue of mercy. Mercy that you have received, mercy that I have received. Mercy that we also want to show, give to others. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. You want to worship God. It's not about jumping around all over the place in a frenzy to loud music. Loud music which is designed to hypnotize you and make you lose, ab- abandon all sense of reasoning. And so you begin to behave, oh, it's just, it is shameful what is seen. That's called worship in a lot of places today. The charismatic renewal movement has turned Christianity into a chaotic thing. Pentecostalism also. It's amazing. The people are told to abandon themselves, just told to abandon every sense of reasoning in what is called worship, while they play this head-banging music, loud music, full of instruments, all designed to hypnotize the hearers. And then you're told to lose yourself. Don't think about what you're doing. Just get on with it. Just let your mouth drop and utter whatever it is that comes out, and that's called speaking in tongues. Is it really? <laughs> we don't have any. We, we, we do not get from the Bible any sense of such unreasonable abandonment of the senses or, or the body in the name of worship in the in the Bible. It doesn't happen it did not happen that way. It's not listed. It's not written. And if it is not written, I don't want to know about it. I do not want to know about it. On the day of Pentecost when the people spoke in tongues, they knew what they were talking about. They were speaking languages, they were proclaiming the glories of God in languages that people could understand. All the people there could understand, and as such, they could understand, they could see, witness the power of God. Not the power of abandonment and, 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 and unreasonableness. We are told to be sober always and have self, and exercise self-control. We are, we're told to have a sober mind, to be drunk in the spirit, not, to, not, not, not on wine. And being drunk in the spirit does not mean losing every sense of reasoning. Nobody in the Bible laid precedent of that where they didn't know what they were doing and they just lost their minds and their heads and just followed whatever it is. That is an open invitation to demonic spirits and demonic spirits are rampant in what is called worship today. Very much present because Satan is not blind. He needs all these avenues to get into people. He's the one who will tell you, you, don't, you to, who will encourage you to lose all sense of reasoning and all sense of uh, every form of self-control. Lose yourself in worship. Really. No, you're supposed to worship God reverentially, with a sober mind. Knowing what you're saying at all times in prayer, knowing what you're singing at all times, 
not just coming up with a whole lot of random words and random things or say you're singing or speaking in tongues. You're deceiving yourself. And this is why you're never going to get where Christ wants you to be. And that is why you're going to keep on running from church to church, from pillar to post, from crusade to crusade, after all kinds of ministers, because you cannot be fulfilled. Because there's no sense of fulfillment in you because you do not know Christ. Because you're not a part of Christ. You fool yourself and think you are. And you were taught all kinds of slogans to chant. I'm blessed and highly favored. Mm, I'm anointed of God. Nothing can harm me. Yeah, Holy Ghost zone. Get away. Keep away Satan and all such nonsense talk. But you know within yourself that you like it in peace. You know within yourself that you're discontent with your worship. You know that something is missing. I'll tell you what is missing. It is that self-control. You've lost your mind. You've abandoned yourself to the teachings of demons. Do you know that the greatest enemies of Christ are not outside of the church. No, they're not. They're in the church. They're in the church and they are the false ministers and false teachers that are bound in there. Satan put them there strategically. So they come. And what do they do? They rob you. They rob you financially. They rob you of your physical state of well-being. They rob you of your sound mind. And they rob you, worst still, of your salvation. If you ever had it. Because the thing is this. They do not teach you the word of life. They do not teach you. They do not lead you in the footsteps of Christ. They are not themselves examples we should emulate. They've got nothing in common with Christ when you look at their character. And you follow them. So you're not following Christ. You're following these men who were nothing but servants of the devil. Agents of Satan. The Antichrist. They are bound in the church. They are on the pulpits. That's exactly where they are. They're strategically poised for that for, for, for that very reason of misleading you. They're not outside the church. It's not about the other religions. No. They're nothing. We know who they are. The other religions who are enemies of Christ. They proclaim it. They proclaim it that they, know, that, that they are enemies of Christ. They proclaim it that Christ is not Lord. They're not hidden. It is those who are disguised. Cleverly disguised. In the church. Amongst you. Who mislead you. Who fleece you. They are the ones you need to be aware of. They are the ones you need to resist. They are the ones you need to run a thousand miles away from. They are the ones you need to separate yourself from. All these love affairs with your church ministers. Cut it out and fall in love with Christ. Otherwise you will not be saved for eternity. You are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. You have to be a part of that kingdom today, now. So that when you return home, it's a question of welcome home, you good and faithful servant. Not hello and who are you? Then you start introducing yourself to Christ. Well, you know, I'm Sarah, you see. I, um, I used to go to this church. My pastor was this person and that person. And, you know, we had a great time in church. You know, worship was awesome. The music was fantastic. Our choir was 300 members strong. And, you know, we had the most high-tech instruments. And, oh, our auditorium was amazing. Yes, I belong to that church. <laughs> if only that could be, you know, accounted for you. Because, you know what? Jesus will look at you and say, away from me, you work of iniquity. I never knew you. I never knew you. I mean, I forget Jesus said it. He said on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, oh, did we not do many wonderful things in your name? You know, this is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Is that the voice you're going to hear? 
Or is it the voice that's going to say, oh, welcome, good and faithful servant. Welcome into the, come into the joy of your Lord. The one or two is going to apply to each person. You want to continue in the idolatrous practice of worship that you were indulging in, it should be a shame. Paul made it very clear here. That you offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Many people are walking and many Christians are confused. They want to believe every teacher and any teacher, and they're confused. They don't know what they, what's going on. Why are you confused? Because you do not have a sound mind. Why not? Because you have not trusted fully in Christ alone. Everything you need for a spiritual walk with Christ, a successful Christian life, is in the written word, the scripture. And if you study with a desire, sincere desire to know God and know his will for you, you will not fail to understand the word of God. So that you will not be deceived and tossed back and forth by all kinds, all kinds of teachings that abound in this world today, teachings from the pits of hell. Oh yes, teachings from the dominion of Satan. Teachings that sound nice to your ears, but do you no favors as far as the kingdom of heaven is concerned? So that those are the pure in heart who will see God. When you know, when you think, when you are like Christ, when you submit yourself to Christ and you let the Holy Spirit of God rule your heart, you will have no room in your heart for any kind of filth. And you will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. We're not talking about peacemakers and making peace among two friends fighting or feuding. No, that's not the peacemakers Jesus is talking about. The peacemakers we're talking about here are people who are eager to reconcile man to God through Christ. People, the bearers of the message of the gospel, the bearers of the message of truth, the message of life. The biggest war any man is in. Is not the war against one nation against the other. It's not the war against one family member against the other. It is the war of Satan fighting against you in battle with you for your soul. That is the greatest war we're all in. And everybody's involved in that. The peacemakers in such wars are those who come to you and tell you the message of truth, the message of life. They are the ones who really help to deliver you. Because they introduce you to Christ. They bring you to Christ. They tell you about Christ. And you go to Christ and he delivers you from all your battles, from all your fears, from all your worries. Only Jesus can deliver. Not any man, not any pastor. And Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For this is the kingdom of heaven. I mean, are you so righteous? I mean, is your Christ-likeness so evident that people despise you for it? Or are you one of those who would rather not say that you're a Christian because they find it embarrassing? And it's not, it's not good. It doesn't do your ego much good. Yes, you need to be persecuted. Because you know what? If the world loves you, then there's something wrong. Because Jesus did not belong to the world. And he said, his disciples do not belong to the world. He said, the world will hate you, but remember, he hated me first. So if you find that you're in a love affair with the world, you're loving this world, you know, you don't want to be separated from it. You're loving this world and everything it has to offer. You're an enemy of Christ. It's very clear. The Bible makes it very clear. Anyone who's a friend of the world is an enemy of Christ. But if you're persecuted for your Christ-likeness, for your Christianity, for your love for Christ, persecuted, people are dying daily for their love for Christ, for, for, for carrying the message of the gospel. 
Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said finally, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way the persecuted the prophets who were before you. So unless you are able and you are willing to subject yourself to persecution and condemnation and rejection for Christ, you do not belong to Christ. You want this easy believism, comfortable Christianity, you do not belong to Christ. Are you a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Ask yourself. Be true to yourself and do yourself the favor. If your Christianity falls short, the day to repent, to repent is now, this moment. Tomorrow is not in your hands. I'll leave it there for today. Any questions or any issues you want to discuss, do not hesitate to contact me uh, by email on livingwordchurch at btinternet.com. Until the next time, may the Lord richly bless you.